On January 1st, New Hampshire began allowing civil unions by homosexual couples. Tomorrow, the first primary of the campaign will be held there. How will the state's social libertarianism affect presidential politics? And are creationists qualified to teach science? There's a fierce debate. We'll talk about it. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. You know, we need to pick a president starting Tuesday, who will deliver results for the American people. She's talking about change, and so is Barack Obama, and so are the other candidates. That's Hillary Clinton, and the Drudge Report is teasing today a Hillary exit. Would she really quit after just one loss in Iowa? She is crying on the campaign trail. Uh, The uh, Drudge Report piece says that her advisors are divided, Uh, We doubt that Hillary Clinton will stop fighting, at least right now. But what's up in New Hampshire for Republicans? We're going to take your calls a little bit later in the program. We also have a surprising story about New Hampshire, but also at the 530 uh, segment, uh, can an institution that teaches a creationist view of our origins really claim to teach science? Uh, A real-world debate is happening right here in Dallas. Henry Morris III of the Institute for Creation Research will join us to talk about an accreditation battle that seems to be going his way, at least so far. But first, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's go back to New Hampshire. Two uh, former Republican governors on the Republican side clashed in the New Hampshire debate. Mitt Romney questioned Mike Huckabee about his record as taxes as governor of Arkansas. Now, I asked you a question to begin with, Mm -hmm. and that was, net-net, did you raise taxes in your state by half a billion dollars? We raised jobs. We built our roads. You know, that's that's political speak. And uh, here's Mike Huckabee responding to Mitt Romney, saying the question isn't just to raise taxes. Government's supposed to work. It's not about the politics of saying I never raised a tax. It's about saying I made government work. And the fact is... There were specific issues that I've been attacked for, sometimes pretty brutally on some of these television spots. But I'm proud of the fact that I governed and lowered taxes. You notice they're talking about taxes. They're talking about the economy. They're not talking so much about the social issues. They're not talking too much about abortion. And that's because New Hampshire is more of a libertarian state. And uh, that's really the story I want to bring to you right now. And this comes out of Bethlehem, New Hampshire, uh, this uh, article uh, that actually discusses the rainbow-painted deck chairs, the fluttering rainbow flag and purple shutters that should be a sign uh, that this Highlands Inn in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, basically has something uh, 
special happening. And uh, the special events that it is preparing for are uh, the civil unions that began in New Hampshire on January 1st. Most of you probably didn't understand or know that the state of New Hampshire began offering civil unions to homosexual couples January 1st. It wasn't a court-ordered uh, event. It was actually passed by the legislature there. And with us to discuss this is uh, Peter Sprigg with the Family Research Council. Peter, thank you for uh, joining us. Well, thank you, Penna. It's nice to be with you. Most people probably didn't know this piece of news because uh, New Hampshire is in the news for presidential politics, but they're related in some sense because the state of New Hampshire is not known as a socially conservative state, is it? Well, that's right. Um, it it uh, does not have the large socially conservative population that you saw in Iowa that helped to give uh, Mike Huckabee his victory in the Iowa caucus. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how things play out there. And you're right, this is or should be a pretty big news story that um, as of the beginning of this year, New Hampshire became uh, yet another state that offering these civil unions. And yet I have not heard of it uh, actually coming up as a as an issue in the presidential primary campaign there at all in either party. Just to reading some of these uh, local newspapers is where we find the story. But, uh, you know, there are already civil unions in some of these northeastern states. Vermont was the very first one in 2000. Connecticut has civil unions. Rhode Island uh, recognizes the marriages from Massachusetts. And uh, there are domestic partnerships in Maine. But New Hampshire sort of uh, took a reversal on its stance because in 2004, uh, they banned civil unions, but they turned around last year and passed them. What happened in New Hampshire? Well, <laughs> excuse me, that's a good question. What we're seeing happening in New Hampshire, I think, a, a large part of the dynamic there is that southern New Hampshire is becoming more and more a suburb of Boston. In other words, um, uh, people, the, the, the population of the Boston metropolitan area has expanded uh, to the point where you have people in southern New Hampshire who, rather than uh, reflecting sort of the traditional rural Yankee culture of New Hampshire, they more tend to more reflect the uh, the liberal kind of urbane uh, culture of metropolitan Boston, and uh, and so um, because southern New Hampshire is where a lot of the population is located within that kind of Boston media uh, market and so forth. Um, I think that's uh, changed the political dynamics in that state. A lot of people have moved into New Hampshire because of their high-tech climate. Uh, of course, they don't have an income tax, and they don't have a sales tax. So they really love low taxes in that state, and I think that's what we need to talk about. Peter Sprigg is my guest. He's vice president for policy at the Family Research Council. Tomorrow, John McCain is slightly favored to win the New Hampshire primary. This is the very first primary that's taking place. They've been uh, the first primary for many years. It's sort of a custom, and they all race to get at the beginning. New Hampshire got to stay there. But uh, Mitt Romney had hoped to win this state. He actually has a summer home there or a winter ski cabin. So he's got a second home. He was governor of Massachusetts, yet he is sort of a close second right now to McCain. And then Huckabee is sort of the other factor there, Peter, because he's certainly socially conservative. But how important is that going to be in this race? Do you have any handicaps? Well, um, it's a very good question. Um, I think that uh, 
Uh, Huckabee will probably count it as a victory if he finishes third in New Hampshire, uh, behind McCain and Romney, if he's able to finish ahead of Giuliani, ahead of uh, the more libertarian Ron Paul, then uh, he'll probably be satisfied with that uh, in New Hampshire. One of, one of the areas where his opponents have attacked uh, Huckabee is on his uh, tax policies as governor of Arkansas. And as you said, that tends to be a, a more prominent issue for voters in uh, New Hampshire than, uh, than some of the social issues. Uh, Peter Sprigg has also written a book called Outrage, How Gay Activists and Liberal Judges Are Trashing Democracy to Redefine Marriage. As I mentioned earlier, Peter, uh, in Vermont, the court forced civil unions. In Massachusetts, the court forced gay marriage to some degree. But we've had a lot of people fighting over whether the court really forced same-sex marriage on Massachusetts or whether Mitt Romney ordered it and didn't really need to. What about that story? Well, you know, that's a... I've seen a lot of back and forth on that, um, and um, I, I, I mean, I think that in principle you can make an argument that um, uh, Mitt Romney could have done more to resist uh, the imposition of, uh, of same-sex marriage by the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts, but um, I don't, frankly, I personally don't agree with the people who say that he could have stopped it. Uh, for for better or worse, uh, and I know, uh, I mean, a lot of conservatives would consider this a bad thing, but we do live uh, under a de facto regime of ju- judicial supremacy, and um, people simply do not defy Supreme Court orders and get away with it. I mean, um, you can try. Uh, that's what Judge Roy Moore did about his Ten Commandments monument uh, in, in Alabama, but... Uh, you know, he not only lost the monument, but he lost his job. Um, and I, I, I'm skeptical of the idea of the of the argument by some people that Mitt Romney could have stopped same-sex marriage in Massachusetts if he had tried. I, I don't really believe that. Okay, we've got civil unions taking place in Vermont. We had the opposite taking place in the state of Oregon, Peter. It seems like people turned back the same-sex unions law. So what happened out there in liberal Oregon? Excuse me. Well, um, you know, what we're seeing um, uh, across the country, I think, is there, there is still an almost universal rejection of the idea of same-sex marriage. Uh, that is a bridge too far for most people. You see that even in the, uh, the Democratic presidential campaigns, um, uh, where all of the major candidates are people who say they're opposed to same-sex marriage. Um, and only the fringe candidates like Kucinich and, and Mike Gravel have actually openly endorsed same-sex marriage. But um, I'm afraid a lot of people are getting to the point of, uh, particularly in the Democratic Party, the kind of default position is to sort of split the difference and not give same-sex marriage, because we know that will upset ordinary people, but, um, <coughs> but to give all the benefits of marriage. And you can call it domestic partnership, you can call it civil unions, um, but uh, that, that will, you know, give these benefits to homosexual couples. So um, that's been kind of, a, kind of a trend. Now, I'm not sure of, uh, has there been a, a, a recent development in Oregon just within the last week or two? Uh, if so, I'm, I'm not aware of it. Uh, yes, it's just been the last... Uh... A judge there actually blocked their same-sex unions law, so it turned it around. Uh, people were expecting 
that uh, this would, you know, these same-sex unions would begin in Oregon, and there was a case December 3rd against the Oregon Secretary of State. So let's go back to Massachusetts for just a moment, because I think it's interesting that uh, Massachusetts made such a change. Does that show that people are looking at Vermont, Connecticut, and other states and saying, okay, we've got civil unions and the sky isn't falling? Well, that's certainly the argument that... <laughs> Excuse me. That a lot of people are are making. You know, I have to pardon the background noise here because I'm on a train platform as I'm talking to you. But um, sounds like uh, you're fighting the same cold that uh, I've been fighting. Well, that too. Yeah, that that was my uh, one of my Christmas gifts. I think was <laughs> getting sick. But, Happy New Year. Uh, <laughs> um, but. Uh, I'm sorry. Now, what, what were we? <laughs> Is the sky? Uh, are they seeing? Are are folks in the country just the average rank and file Americans say, seeing civil unions taking place and saying it's not really hurting marriage? The sky isn't falling. Uh, so we, in a more conservative state, are going to say, "Okay, let's go for it." Well, certainly that argument that the sky isn't falling is one that we hear offered all the time by um, by those favoring same-sex marriage and um, uh, civil unions. And uh, the problem is that it, 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 you're not going to have the sky fall overnight. What, what's going to happen is a gradual um, erosion of um, the foundations. <laughs> so maybe the metaphor of the sky falling is the wrong one. What you're, what you're seeing is a, an erosion or a chipping away of the foundations of marriage and the family. And um, one, uh, you know, they say the sky isn't falling, but I think there's one uh, significant piece of evidence uh, of how uh, uh, that we already have as to how these kind of institutions are undermining marriage, and that is ironically uh, the fact that most homosexuals are not um, are not taking advantage of these arrangements. They fight for them on political basis, but then they really don't have the level of personal commitment to these relationships uh, that would uh, that would drive them to actually get married or enter a civil union. We have fairly good, we can have a fairly good estimate of the number of same-sex couples in each of these states based on data from the 2000 census, which was the first time that the census actually collected uh, data on, uh, allowed people to identify themselves as unmarried partners. And uh, then by comparing that with the declared sex of the partners, you can count the number of cohabiting heterosexual partner households. And, and I guess we're seeing that it's not as great household. as expected. Uh, Peter Sprague, Family Research Council, is with me. Peter, we are heading up on the end of the segment, but I want to thank you for weighing okay. in today. I hope your uh, cold gets better. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, okay, so this is kind of up for grabs, whether uh, the same-sex marriage issue, the social issues are going to affect the primary tomorrow in New Hampshire. We'll talk more about it next. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian 
frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. We can't be a new story, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's nothing we can do. I can't make her younger, taller, male. There's lots of things I can't do, but no but if you want a president and you need one, she would be by far the best. Bill Clinton can't make Hillary younger. Can't make her taller, can't really make her more likable, and I think that's what the campaign's worried about right now. She is crying on the campaign trail, not sure if uh, those are dramatic tears or real tears, because she sees her lead uh, going away, especially in New Hampshire, Barack Obama, the candidate of change. And we are going to talk about the New Hampshire primary in this segment. Uh, It takes place tomorrow, and if Obama wins, uh, this could be the beginning of the end for Hillary Rodham Clinton, probably will be the end for John Edwards. Uh, Mike Huckabee won in Iowa. He probably will not win in New Hampshire. John McCain is favored to win with a closely following Mitt Romney and uh, probably third place for Huckabee, maybe uh, fourth place. We'll see. Uh, But it's very interesting to look at the dynamics of this and to watch as this campaign season, these primaries and caucuses begin to unfold. It's a very, very compressed uh, season, and it's probably something that's not great because once one candidate uh, wins one state, there may just be a media momentum that uh, begins and uh, nobody has a chance to recover. But ladies and gentlemen, we are talking politics and we will take your calls. 800-881-9270. What is your top issue? Uh, What are you voting on as you look at this? Who are you rooting for and why are you rooting for these people? Are you looking at the social issues like abortion or are you looking at national security? Here is a story that points up the need to remember that we do live in a dangerous world. As a matter of fact, uh, the Pentagon says that some Iranian boats have harassed U.S. Navy ships. They're very disturbed by this incident. Here's the report. The Pentagon calls it a serious provocation. Iranian Revolutionary Guard boats harassed and provoked three U.S. Navy ships in the strategic Strait of Hormuz. A Pentagon official says U.S. forces were on the verge of firing on the Iranians in self-defense when the boats ended the incident early Sunday and turned and moved away. The official says there were no injuries, but adds there very well could have been. The incident occurred just before dawn on Sunday as a U.S. Navy cruiser, destroyer, and frigate were crossing the strait heading into the Persian Gulf. David Melendi, Washington. Is it the economy stupid for you, or is it national security stupid? Uh, John McCain, of course, advocated the surge, which is now working in Iraq. This may account for the reason that he is now winning The Republican uh, polling in New Hampshire, of course, that primary tomorrow, campaigning in New Hampshire, John McCain said the nation faces a tough enemy, and he's the one who should lead the fight. I believe this nation faces the transcendent challenge of the 21st century in the form of radical Islamic extremism. 
That's John McCain. Is that your number one issue? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Who are you watching and what issues are you following? What is important to you in this presidential race? Rudy Giuliani is sort of waiting in the wings out there. He didn't campaign much in Iowa. He hasn't been in New Hampshire much. He's not favored to get anywhere near the top in New Hampshire. He's waiting for the end of the month in Florida. And he said during the New Hampshire debate that Islamic terrorists still pose a great threat to the United States. There's an Islamic terrorist threat against us. It's an existential threat. It has nothing to do with our foreign policy. It has to do with their ideas, their theories, the things that they have done in the way they've perverted their religion into a hatred of us. And he's making the case that he's the best candidate to handle this. But are we going to forget about him by the time he... uh, Hits a day, hits a campaign, a primary that he thinks he could be strong in at the end of the month. Is somebody else going to get the momentum? Well, here's the end of that story on terrorism because there's another story out there. U.S. intelligence agencies are reviewing an internet video by an American spokesman for Al Qaeda that urges violence during President Bush's Middle East visit, which is taking place this week. Here's that report from Rita Foley. Adam Gadan is the American spokesman for Al Qaeda. He was raised in California and in a video posted on the Internet, tears up his American passport and calls on militants to bring bombs and booby-trapped vehicles to receive President Bush in the Middle East. The FBI says U.S. intelligence agencies are scrutinizing the tape for information. As for Gadan's tearing up his passport, the spokesman said he's wanted for treason against the United States. His passport was already void. Rita Foley, Washington. Is national security your issue? Is it the economy or is it the social issues? Uh, Is it abortion? Here's Rudy Giuliani in a question and answer session in New Hampshire. Now, he's responding to an outburst. Uh, Seems like some people there in New Hampshire are concerned about abortion. Here is an outburst by one of the attendees. A vote for Rudy is a vote for child killer. Okay. Baby killer. All right. I would tell you my, I would, my view on abortion is that abortion is wrong, that it would be better and the choice should be for life and not abortion as a personal choice. That's Rudy Giuliani, but uh, he would not infringe upon a woman's right to choose. Uh, let's join uh, Let's join together and talk about this a little bit. We've got some folks waiting on the line. The number is 800-881-9270. We're in full presidential primary season, and uh, tomorrow is the New Hampshire primary. Let's go to Terrell and talk to Bob. Hi, Bob. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Hannah. My issue is... Uh national defense and uh, i'm still looking at huckabee but i wish you still uh, readdress his uh, views on guantanamo and waterboarding because we need to uh, put our uh, people that's uh, attacking us a terrorist in guantanamo and not bring us to not to bring them to american prisons prisons because that's when uh, they get the rights as american citizens and uh, waterboarding if that's what it takes to make uh, terrorists talk about what they do uh, to bring terrorists and uh, what they do to terrorize American citizens. That's what we do to them, regardless of what uh, others think. Okay, Bob, stay on the line uh, because I want to ask you one more question. First of all, John McCain has a pretty bizarre take on waterboarding. Maybe not since he was a POW and he was tortured. 
Uh, but for somebody who's really tough uh, on national security, he's not necessarily tough on these terrorist suspects. And then, as you said, Mike Huckabee wants to close uh, Guantanamo Bay. You'd like to see him change uh, that position. So are you saying, Bob, that you think that uh, if Huckabee is the nominee, wiser heads will begin to prevail, some national security experts will get to him and help him to be stronger on this issue? I, th- I think so, because, like I say, if it's we do whatever it takes to make the terrorists talk and tell them what they, what they think that, uh, what they will do to, um, you know, to terrorize us more, and like, uh, uh, you know, what... Uh, kind of like Jack do, Bauer. You know, and everything. Uh, and with McCain, uh, that is not terror, because uh, the... Uh, People that uh, are Islamic, jihadists, they will cut people's heads off. That's what I call terrorizing people. Okay, Bob, thank you so much. We appreciate your weighing in. Let's go now to Argyle and talk to Larry. Hi, Larry. Thanks for calling. What's your top issue? Yeah, my top issue is uh, John McCain is not for national security, or he would be for closing the borders and deporting all these people that are here because we don't know how many terrorists are in this country that came through the southern border. And John McCain wants amnesty for everyone here. You know, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is the issue that was not an issue when he won New Hampshire in 2000. There's a whole new uh, piece of information, something the American people really care about, and that's illegal immigration. John McCain came out very soft on this. He's had to backpedal on his position for comprehensive immigration reform. And even though he is the front runner, it's not by a lot in New Hampshire. And it kind of makes me wonder whether this immigration issue is going to play into this more than the polls think. Larry, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Let's go now to uh, John in Greenville. John, thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, I guess I would say my top issue um, is the federal budget and the federal debt. And I am very, very disappointed in the Republican ticket on that issue except for one candidate and that's ron paul and I, I wish he were more electable i wish i wish that more of the general american public uh... had that issue paramount in their minds because i'm telling you without without getting that issue uh... corrected and without riding the ship and the devaluing of the, of the dollar which is causing so many problems uh... our whole economy that we've enjoyed since world war two is going to be destroyed and i don't care what Okay, barring barring Ron Paul, he's raising a lot of money. He probably won't be the nominee. Who would be your second choice on that issue? My second choice on that issue, that's, I'm going to tell you, there's a distant second. I, I, don't, I don't see any of the other candidates speaking to that issue. I think any of the other candidates is going to be a continuation of the status quo of major budget deficits every year, every year because we're, we're too far extended, and I don't see anybody else changing it besides... Him. What are we spending uh, too much on? Spending too, we're spending too much on everything. I, I, the, the, uh, the, what needs to Even national security? What, Our defense sorry? budget is a smaller percentage of the national budget than it has been for decades. Well, the, there's, a, there's a devaluing of the, American, of the dollar for a reason. It's because they cannot maintain the bloated uh, budget we have along with paying the interest on the national debt uh, plus funding 
an overextended war effort uh, and, and, and keep it all afloat without devaluing the dollar. And that's okay. what's happening. Yeah, and the value of the dollar is a huge problem. Thank you, John. We appreciate your call. Let's go to Matthew in Dallas. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I voted for, I'll go ahead. first of all, I'm about 25, so apparently this is a... I've got to go quickly. Vote. We're about on the end of the segment. Yeah, sure. I just want to say, like, I'm kind of disappointed by all the candidates I see in New Hampshire. I mean, I feel like no one's really speaking for anyone in my uh, generation. Everyone, the one guy wants to be president for this reason. Are you Republican or Democrat? Uh, hmm? Are you Republican or Democrat? I'm an unregistered, but I usually vote Republican. Okay. And, so you don't uh, have you know, a favorite in New Hampshire? Hmm? You don't have a favorite in New Hampshire? I mean, the closest is John McCain, but even he, like, I, I just I don't feel like he really understands what, what we're trying to go through. Like, honestly, it's going to sound terrible. Just- Gotta let you go. There you go. Uh, young people really don't know who to support. A lot of people still, at this point, don't know who to support. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about creation. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. I also had experience in leadership, not in management. I led the largest squadron in the United States Navy, not for profit, but for patriotism. John McCain making the case why people ought to support him for the Republican nominee in New Hampshire. And uh, one of the uh, factors in New Hampshire that is very important in this state to remember, and remember it tomorrow as you watch this, independents outnumber registered Republicans and Democrats in New Hampshire, and they're free to vote in either primary, which means that people can vote for Obama just to get rid of Hillary, even though they're Republicans. So that might mean that John McCain, who got the independent vote in 2000, might not get so many of those votes. It looks like that's what a lot of people are planning planning on doing, although we don't know. We'll only know tomorrow when the real vote takes place, the real poll, and that will be the uh, results of the New Hampshire primary. Well, ladies and gentlemen, remember this. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. How'd you do this? Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. Well, it's a trailer for an older movie, Jurassic Park, uh, but it makes the case and really helps us answer the question about whether or not creation taught as science is fact or is it fiction? Is it just a story? And uh, there is a debate, sort of a battle playing out right here in the Metroplex in Dallas over teaching creation and actually uh getting accredited in doing so. And this comes out of the Dallas Morning News, December 15, 2007. Texas's debate over teaching evolution is going to college. The nonprofit Institute for Creation Research in Dallas wants to train future science teachers in Texas and elsewhere using an online curriculum. A state advisory group gave its approval Friday. Now the final say rests with the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board, which will consider the request this month in January. With us is Henry Morris III, and uh, he is with the Institute for Creation Research, which is in Dallas. And uh, Dr. Morris, thank you for joining us. You're quite welcome, Dana. Thank you. Tell me a little bit more about what is going on. First of all, why are you trying to get this accreditation in Dallas? Uh, Isn't the organization uh, based in California? We've been in California for about 30 years. We have moved our headquarters here to Dallas over the last two years and are now applying 
for uh, approval to grant degrees in the state of Texas. And uh, these are online degrees, which will go for a master's degree for students, right? This is a master's of science degree in science education, and it is uh, online. Dr. Morris, the Dallas Morning News just simply can't uh, understand this because they don't think the teaching creation is science. Some, uh, For some reason, they seem to think that because it involves faith, it doesn't involve fact. You've had sort of an ongoing battle with them, haven't you? Well, it's been uh, interesting over the last few weeks, to say the least. Uh, the uh, Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board has given its uh, approval up to the level of the commissioner. We're meeting actually on Thursday with the commissioner's office to uh, present our curriculum again to a further committee. But essentially, the science program is designed around five major domains that meet 11 science standards, of which there are 23 competencies. All that educational jargon just means that we design our curriculum around these things. 99% of science is just that. What do you do with the periodic table or with gravity or with the microbiology? It's the origins, which are outside of testable science, that is the controversy. And that's not science, it's history. So we're really dealing with a non-sequitur, and we're trying to make... Uh, the case that our program is just as scientific as any regional university. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what the uh, the advisory team said. They made that specific remark that our curriculum was, in, in essence, just the same as they'd find in any regional school. I think there's a misconception on the part of many people who think that the Bible is just a story and uh, there isn't history there, there isn't fact there, and there isn't science in the Bible, but all of the above are in the Bible, aren't they? Well, of course, that's the ultimate argument. Where do you start? Do you start with a revelation from a creator, or do you start with an atheistic viewpoint of all things being naturally interpreted? And both of those are presuppositions. You can't prove either one. You can't prove the existence of God or the non-existence of God. They're both presuppositions. We certainly presuppose that God exists, and we believe in the information revealed to us from the creator, but that shapes the way we look at how it's used as opposed to the facts of science. Uh, chemistry is chemistry. Physics are physics. You know, you just don't, those are not really changeable issues. It's the application that's perhaps in, in uh, question. And uh, certainly we would hold that the uh, worldview of a creationist perspective is very different than a naturalistic one. My guest is Dr. Henry Morris III, and uh, he heads up the Institute for Creation Research. This was founded by your father, Dr. Henry Morris, correct? That, that is correct, back in 1970, in conjunction with Dr. Tim LaHaye, as they worked to, together to start Christian Heritage College back in uh, San Diego. And the two have now separated, both separate institutions, and uh, the Institute for Creation Research now has moved its entire organization here to Dallas, so we're here to stay in the Texas area. The Dallas Morning News asked you uh, why you did so. You said because uh, you've got a, we've got a great airport and we're in a great time zone. <laughs> Is that one of the reasons? Well, that was uh, sort of an offhand remark to a reporter just as a uh, general comment. It's, it is all of that. We're certainly a national organization, and we need a good airport. We need to be in a central time zone. The economy is good here, and the uh, uh, the social structure is uh, acceptable to ministries like ours. All of these were in favor of our moving to this area. Uh, so I think this ought to be uh, something that's very interesting for Christian parents or Christians who are considering this type of degree. How can they get more information? Well, they can look on our website, icr.org. We'll have all the information there. 
certainly would appreciate your listeners praying for us this Thursday. We'll be meeting with the commissioner's office uh, specifically to, to discuss these things, and it's important that we are uh, both careful and gracious and objective in our presentation. In reading the story, I wasn't surprised to see uh, an organization named the Texas Freedom Network opposing you. They seem to oppose anything that has to do with faith, especially when you try to combine it with science. And uh, they're out there fighting you, aren't they? There are a large number of organizations uh, nationwide that fight every chance they get on anything that has to do with religion. The whole evolutionary perspective essentially is to look at things naturally, read atheistically, so that we don't have to deal with the question of God. The reason they resist so strongly this idea of creation is that if there is a creator, we must one day answer to that creator, and that's unacceptable. All right. Now, could you explain the difference between, because there's another battle going on with regard to our origins, and that is uh, the teaching of intelligent design. But this is a different battle, isn't it? Not really. Uh, the, the, the core issues are the evidence is for non-evolutionary answers, and intelligent design is essentially a, uh, a scientific perspective that the information contained primarily in, in microbiology, but in the universe itself, there is just way too much information, too much language and codes and structure and purpose and order for this to be randomly produced. And it the, takes more faith to believe evolution than it does to believe well, indeed, uh, intelligent in the, design. All of science is based on cause and effect, that what you see, the effect, has to have an adequate cause. And when you see intelligence in, in, in the effect, it implies that there was an, a designer behind the intelligence. And that's why they're being fought. It's essentially the same argument. The ID group, as a rule, tends to try to shy away from any religious connection but their uh, import is essentially the same as ours. All right. Uh, we've been wanting to ask you a question since you're the expert on creation uh, that uh, came out in the Daily Mail, a British online paper recently, and it says the theory goes that dinosaurs were wiped out after an asteroid smashed into the Earth uh, millions of years ago, but now it's been suggested they actually were sent to eternity by uh, a mosquito. Have you heard that story? Well, we've we've heard quite a few. There there seem to be a no end to the various theories about how the uh, uh, Cretaceous period was uh, so badly interrupted. But the evidence doesn't suggest any of that completely. It's just a suggestion based on some titular information. We think the preponderance of evil information focuses on burial by water-deposited mud. Uh, all the fossils are found in water-deposited mud, and that fits the biblical story of Noah's flood just as easily, in fact, more credibly, we think, than any other theory. Uh, talk about the age of the Earth. Well, that's one of those uh, challenging issues. Mm -hmm. we don't, the rocks don't come with clocks in them. They're, they're just not there. We have to interpret the data. We all use the same data. We use the fossils. We use the geologic layers. We use the uh, measurable speed of the decay rates of radiometric materials and so on. And you can make extrapolations or uh, sort of mathematical uh, projections backwards based on the things that we can measure and test today. But everything we measure today is uh, essentially being conserved or preserved. It doesn't allow for any kind of catastrophic intervention. If there were catastrophic interventions, such as a Noah's flood, it would make a huge difference in the way the rates would be jolted or... Uh, 
or uh, sped up or slowed down, as the case may be. We think there's an awful lot of evidence. We've put a lot of time into radiometric dating. It's been about eight years and several million dollars dealing with this issue in a research program, and all that material is out and available. We think that the preponderance of evidence suggests that the Earth is much, much younger than millions and millions of years. It could be debated on how far back, but uh, certainly not millions of years. If you want to find more about the Institute for Creation Research, again, give us the website. icr.org. Be praying uh, for this decision that's being made here in the state of Texas. I think it has a lot to do with science, religious freedom, and really just the First Amendment. Thank you so much for being with us. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is the New Hampshire primary in the news, the Supreme Court is also in the news. They are hearing some cases. They've started their term. And uh, we're going to talk about a couple of those right after this. Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Where does this come from that, uh, uh, that in, in the, in the uh, execution of, a, of a, a person who has been convicted of, uh, of killing people, uh, we, we must choose the least painful method possible. Is, is that somewhere in our Constitution? Well, uh, that is Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and he's talking about a case that was actually heard at the United States Supreme Court today. Oral arguments took place. And uh, there are going to be several important cases the Supreme Court is going to hear. This one considers uh, whether the nation's dominant message of execution, which is a three-drug lethal injection, actually comports with the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment uh, at a time when support for the death penalty is actually waning a little bit. Uh, Justice Scalia is asking the question uh, whether there is some sort of a prohibition against a convicted criminal feeling pain? It's a pretty interesting question. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to go back to the New Hampshire primary just to give you a couple of facts as you watch the news unfold tomorrow. Uh, First of all, in New Hampshire, as we said before, independents outnumber registered Republicans and Democrats in New Hampshire, and they're free to vote in either primary. Uh, They have a motto, live free or die. And this is really touting the independent-minded nature of New Hampshire citizens. They're very proud of that. But uh, the predictions are complicated by this because, as we said before, independents may be going toward Obama, even though they're Republicans. They may go ahead and vote in the Democrat 
primary. Number two fact about New Hampshire, it's one of only two states, Alaska is the other, that has neither an income tax nor a sales tax. This shows how important economic conservatism is in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, Number three, New Hampshire voters care somewhat less about health care than Iowans and more about the economy. Now, that's important because Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and John Edwards are also all touting universal health care. Barack Obama's plan is a little different than Hillary's. Uh, Barack Obama does not want to force it on everyone. Hillary says that he's wrong because he's going to leave some people out. But what he's really doing is saying that if you don't want it, you don't have to buy it. Uh, Also, number four fact about New Hampshire, Democrats are more moderate than their Iowa brethren. This may bode well for Hillary Clinton. Barack Obama is a little bit more liberal than she is on most things. Uh, They are also more likely to be in union households, far less likely to attend church regularly. So uh, the the, uh, Huckabee win in Iowa is not likely to be repeated. But again, we have no idea about the strength of that and uh, whether that's going to resonate in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, Republicans in the Granite State are more liberal than those in Iowa likely to support gay marriage, as we said, civil unions, abortion rights, and stricter environmental laws. Uh, So that's why John McCain is probably running first. He tends to be uh, a global warming uh, advocate in as far as doing something very, very important about that issue. And as we said before, he supports uh, comprehensive immigration reform. He is pro-life. Uh, he has not supported a federal marriage amendment. White evangelical Protestants in New Hampshire account for about 18 percent of New Hampshire voters compared with 38 percent in Iowa. So it's just a different citizenry there. And uh, we will see what the results will be. Well, let's go back to the Supreme Court and talk about uh, this death penalty case. The court is hearing this case on whether the lethal injection form of the death penalty constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. Here's Roy Englert. He argued the case for the state of Kentucky. And uh, that state makes sure that the anesthetic keeps the inmate from feeling severe pain from the subsequent drugs. The only issue is what safeguards do we have in place to make sure the first drug works. Kentucky has done just about everything humanly possible to make sure the first drug works. Roy Inglert again arguing this case for Kentucky says there's nothing to indicate a lethal injection has caused cruel and unusual pain. The anesthetic drug has as its entire purpose anesthetizing the inmate so that he will not feel excruciating pain. And there is very, very little evidence that people have ever felt excruciating pain in executions carried out by lethal injection. Donald Verrilli, who is the lawyer who argued the uh, the other side against the lethal, lethal injection, said that no one is going to argue that the pain of a lethal injection gone wrong is not cruel and unusual punishment. There's no disagreement that if you don't get adequate anesthesia and you get pancuronium and you get potassium chloride, you're going to suffer the most excruciating pain imaginable until you die. I don't have the stats on how often that happens, uh, but Justice Scalia, again, Supreme Court Justice said during oral arguments today, there doesn't appear to be any constitutional protection against pain. Where does this come from that uh, uh, that in, in the in the execution of a of a, a person who has been convicted of uh, of killing people, uh, we we must choose the least painful method possible? Is is that somewhere in our Constitution? 
I think something else to look at here is this the beginning of the end of the death penalty? Is this just sort of a change in public opinion about the death penalty uh, that is beginning to kind of unwind in this country? We've had uh, DNA evidence, which has uh, basically stopped the death penalty from being carried out in some places. And uh, some people are questioning also whether it is a deterrent. On Wednesday, the court is going to tackle a case spotlighting a deep partisan divide over voter identification laws. This is another hot-button issue. Republicans say they are needed to clamp down on fraud. Democrats say that they impinge on the right to vote, just showing an ID. Uh, Also, we've talked before on this program about Medellin versus Texas, and this is a case that answers the question, can the president order state courts to obey a ruling from the International Court of Justice? President Bush did that. And uh, we've had a battle that's gone on for over 14 years over Jose Medellin, who uh, is a convicted uh, rapist and murderer uh, in this country. He's not been uh, he's not been uh, actually put to death yet. Uh, there are other cases, one over Guantanamo prisoners having the constitutional right to judicial review of their detention. The Second Amendment case uh, having to do with uh, the District of Columbia. Also, uh, there's a case having to do with union organizing. And uh, there's another case about a military transfer of U.S. citizen in Iraq to Iraqi authorities for trial. Can this be done without review from the U.S. courts? These are all going to be before the United States Supreme Court. But let's go back to the death penalty and talk about whether or not the Bible uh, speaks to it. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, this is the verse that is always and often used. uh, Whoso sheddeth man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And, of course, so the fact that man was made in the image of God is used as the justification for putting to death someone who would take that man's life. And also, of course, uh, there's the Romans 13 verses about the higher powers, uh, the power that God has put into place. He's really ordained our leaders to... Uh, be the ones who protect the law-abiding citizen from those who would murder or commit crimes against him. And in uh, chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of this power? Uh, Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise from the same. For this leader is the minister of God for good. And if you do that which is evil, uh, he doesn't beareth a sword in vain. This also used as a justification for the death penalty. We're going to continue to have a debate about this. We'll continue to talk about it. Join us tomorrow on Jerry Johnson Live. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.